Welcome to the show. Another episode of The Eternal Student. I'm Dan Clark, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Sean, Outstanding Educator Keating. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have our first female guest on the pod. Lindsay Dipburner comes to us. She is a friend of mine who I met through her husband, who is a high school principal, and um, Lindsay is a big deal. Lindsay is the Vice President of Pharmacy Operations at Optum, part of United Health Group. She manages a team of over 3,000 employees, and um, she went to Concordia College in Moorhead, and ever since I've known her, she is just a... Yeah, an amazing person. Um, deals really well with everybody. Um, an amazing mom, amazing wife, um, and has worked her way up the corporate ladder. And um, she shares a lot of great insights with us today. Yeah, we uh, spent some time talking about life in the health insurance industry. It's actually more exciting than it sounds. Um, I wasn't convinced until I had this conversation. Uh, also, parenting as a career-driven woman and we uh, spend a good chunk talking about how to find a mentor and how that process works, mostly because I don't know how that process works, and I should probably follow it. Um, some shopkeeping, if you want to check us out on the Instagram, go ahead and follow us at eternal.student.podcast. Head over to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. And uh, we're growing the show, and I, I tell you, it doesn't happen all the time, but it seems every few weeks I get an email, a text, um, a conversation around town where somebody tells me they're listening and can't tell you how much that means, and we appreciate it. And um, if we can help anybody out there, that is exactly what we're trying to do. So um, especially for our female audience and, and for our audience in general, I think you're going to learn so much from Lindsay. Um, if you're thinking about what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? How do I balance all of this as, as a woman who wants to chase a career? Um, listen to Lindsay cause she's done a heck of a job doing it. And, uh, she's got some great golden nuggets for you about how to kind of navigate, um, some of the things you might be going through. And, um, and she's a delight to talk to. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Lindsay Dipburner. First question. Um, why don't we just start with like, explain what line of work you're in and how you got there. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so right out of school, I got into healthcare um, by happenstance, which we can come back to if you want. Um, did did revenue cycle consulting for hospitals, which essentially means how do we bring more cash flow into hospitals? Um, I did that for uh, a couple of years out of school. It was really fun, to be honest. It's like college, but getting paid to you know traveling with a bunch of. 20 some uh, year olds and going all over to different hospitals in the US um, and and making money and having corporate apartments and all that fun stuff. So I, I actually had a blast out of school doing 
doing that. And uh, from there, I knew I wanted to stay in healthcare, but I did not want to get on the road anymore. Uh, I was done traveling, met my husband, wanted to start a family. So ended up at United Health Group, um, which I've now been at for the last almost 12 years uh, in various roles. But my current one is part of our pharmacy business within Optum. Um, so I run our home delivery pharmacy operations, which is essentially what most people are used to going to Walmart, Walgreens, CVS to get their prescription meds. We actually have basically big warehouses where we dispense millions of prescriptions um, and medications and deliver it to your home through FedEx, UPS, you know, really all of the different, um, you know, carriers that, that are in the U.S., so my team are their pharmacists, their technicians. Um, they are responsible for reviewing your prescription, writing it up, making sure the you know actual dosage is accurate. We make sure there's no drug drug interaction issues that we might want to call you about, um, and then essentially get it out the door so that you get it in your hands. These are usually maintenance meds. So people that do home delivery are the ones that are you know on 90 day. Um, you know, prescription fills, you know, maybe you've got something for diabetes or asthma or something like that. Um, and you don't need to go into, you know, drive to go somewhere to get your meds all the time. We just send it right to your home. So I've got a team of probably 3000 people that are all across the U.S., a couple um, even internationally that support us to uh, make that happen. Yeah, I just had a letter from I don't know if it's my insurance or pharmacy, but I used to, you know, just go to the small town pharmacy, pick up my, my meds. And now they said, nope, we can't do that anymore. So now they're getting mailed to me, which is extremely convenient. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just going through that. I don't even know. I have to go through CVS. I think it says, so they just, every okay. 90 days send me my drugs. So now they're not even, is that a, is that like a shift in like how business is being run with, with those medications like people are just is that like a new thing that is increasing quite a bit is just mail directly to the people i mean it's been around for a while and and there's a mix of to sean's point where um you know your 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 insurance is has made some a contractual agreement to do that so you're almost forced to um but then there's also just choice right so um how do we let you know that if you don't want to go to the store um, we can just send it to your house for you. Another really convenient thing. So we have a lot of, um, you know, our Medicare members. So the, you know, the, the 65 plus that we support and when they're bouncing from Arizona snowbird home back to Minneapolis, for example, it's really easy for us to just switch their address and ship it to wherever they are. So that's one kind of convenient factor. If you're not forced, you might choose just cause it's, um, it can be really convenient for you not have to to have to go anywhere. That said, some people still love the face to face, and you know they want to they they're going to their CVS or whatever anyway. So so they uh, they keep that retail setting model. But yeah, you for know, sure with, the small for town sure with COVID, people do it now. Yeah, and my kids always enjoyed getting the sucker through the drive through, so that's disappointing. But um. no, I tried to get that in our packages. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's awesome. And the reason we want to have you on is just because obviously, number one, we're finally bridging the gender gap here and having our first female on the show, which is awesome. And number two, um, we have a lot of young people that listen, high school, college age kids, and 
you know, we talk a lot about the future and what's going to happen. And so if we go back to that kind of period of your life, like in college, let's say, um, what was Lindsay Dipburner like back then? What were you studying? What did you, you know, if you put yourself back at 1920, obviously probably didn't predict where you'd be now, but, um, what were, what were your kind of, how you got into where you're at now? Yeah. Oh, Lindsay in college, huh? I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll save some stories for another podcast. Um, no, I was, uh, I, I've always, I was always the, the, you know, a student involved in a lot of activities, but I definitely didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I knew things that I enjoyed. Um, I actually really enjoyed psychology. I really enjoyed business classes. I actually thought I wanted to be pre-med and then I took a chemistry class and I was done. Um, I, 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 I failed miserably there. Um, so I started at least in college to find out what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, but I really didn't have a specific like area, um, that I wanted to focus in on. So I actually went through college liberal arts and I got a psychology and business double major. Um, and then I got a minor in communications because essentially I thought, well, all of these things could help me, you know, I can, you know, articulate and speak well with individuals from a communication standpoint, business gave me kind of that overall general understanding of how do you, you know, run a business. And then the psychology aspect, which I really love and I still love today is understanding how people think and how you influence and motivate and all those good things. And so that was really, um, you know, where I built my skills around. And then really a recruiter just came to my college and talked about working in healthcare and helping hospitals. And I went back to those pre-med moments where I thought that's what I wanted to do and thought, well, I, I am interested in helping others and um, maybe just not in the doctor kind of way. Um, and felt like some of the skills that I was building in my major would would work in a consulting role. So that's really how I got to that point in my life. I still tell people today, you know, when when people are asked, well, what do you want to do with your career? Or even in my job, if someone says, what what job do you want next? Um, I kind of say, don't worry about answering exactly where you want to work or what job you want. Make sure you can talk about what you like doing. Um, what are those types of things? Do you like big problems? Do you, you know, like to try something new? Do you like when there's a set of things that you can just execute against? Or do you like when it's a blank piece of paper and you get to design and build it? So I always try to, I would say from uh, someone in school still, think about those things you like to do in those classes that you like versus necessarily a specific field that you think you have to go into because you can apply a lot of those things to a lot of different areas. I've been in United Health Group for 12 years now, and I've had seven roles, so seven totally different jobs. Um, and and so I would also say, whatever you do choose right away to do doesn't have to be you know your final either. Right. So you talked about in college, you had that miserable failing experience with chemistry. Was that was that like a turning point moment? I mean, you said you were a straight A student. Had you experienced miserable failure before that? Or was that a, a moment um, where it, it happened first and it kind of, I don't know, did you have any major takeaways from that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was certainly uh, uh, hard for me to, to accept, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
whoever put multiple, multiple choice as a way to do tests is just mean. I'm just going to say like, that's, that's so mean. What is, is that like um, both A and B, but not C? Is that kind of how that works? Oh yeah. And like maybe, maybe it's A, C, D, E, but not F. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just, yes, exactly. Um, horrible. <laughs> but what I would say is, to be honest, I went and then tried to figure out how to take it past fail. Right. I was like, all right, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go this route. <laughs> I don't like it. So going back to like, what do you like and not do? like, I didn't like any minute of it. So um, <laughs> then I had to get strategic about how I make sure I balance my overall, you know, credits and, and GPA and all that good stuff. But then I really quickly pivoted to what I do like are these psychology and sociology classes. So it really did help set my kind of track on what I was, what I was passionate about. And then that, that, that was my freshman year. And then it psychology became my major. So I guess you could say it did kind of pivot me. And I learned about myself in a way that got me to major then and change course and direction and where I actually enjoyed and like to work and, and be a part of. So that it caused a moment of reflection. Yeah. Something I think that our listeners, I mean, I, I mean, I think I'd like our listeners to hear is that type of story because a lot of our listeners are in that, you know, age group where they are in those situations and they, for the life of them, don't want to fail at anything and they'll do everything at all costs <laughs> not to. But I mean, like you just said, it can create a moment of what do I, you know, reflection where you think about what you actually do like and that you, you know, actually hate the thing you're trying to desperately do well in and just kind of cutting your losses mm -hmm. and pivoting, like you said. So two questions about that. Where, mm -hmm. why, where did it come from for you to kind of like want to be a good student? It sounds like you're a little type A, a little perfectionist in school maybe. And where does that come from? And why are you that way? Why, how did that happen? And then number two is like, I feel like a lot of kids want to say, like, when you don't know, you say, I'm going to be pre-med or I'm going to be pre-law or like whatever as you start school, just because it's kind of an easy button to get people, adults from quit asking you or whatever. Um, so I, I'm seeing that a lot right now with like a lot of my seniors and, and kids that just graduate that they just want to tell people or care what other people think, right, about what they're going into. So just talk a little bit about that being like so driven academically and how that came to be and what you learned from all that. Yeah, I, I am pretty type A. I think I got it from my mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, but have been that way my, my, uh, my whole life in terms of, yeah, I hate, I don't like to fail. I don't like to make mistakes. Um, and, and so any of those moments in my life were, were certainly, you know, hard for me. And I think what I have certainly learned over time is um, they, they absolutely give you that better understanding of who you are when you have those, you know, failure moments. Um, I now, I now look at those as good things because I stop and I understand what my strengths really are. And, and I pivot towards that. You know, I think there's a book out there. I can't remember who it is, but it's now discover your strengths. Um, and it really leans into don't focus so much on what you're not good at. Um, you should really spend your time and your energy focused on what you are good at. 
you know, right now, obviously, you know, diversity is a, is a, is a big topic, right? Um, and so when I even think in my work day, I look at how I bring those areas that I'm bad at and I bring on a team that is good at those things, right? So I know over those lessons in life when I'm what I'm, what I need help on or what just isn't, um, part of who I am. I'm a very non-detailed person. Like if someone asks me what shirt you're wearing in an hour, I'm going to have no idea. It's just not something I'm good at. Or if you make me read a big long paper, I'll just frankly never read it. I just like, it's impossible for me. And I know I'm not good at that kind of detailed stuff. So I make sure as I build a team around me today that I have someone on my team that's really good at that. And that likes that. Um, so I think, you know, what, what I'm trying to articulate is, is you should focus on your strengths, um, and know that you can find those, those people, friends, even if it's like, if you're really bad at writing papers, right. But you have a friend that's really good, ask him to read it for you. Um, I, I use all kinds of resources in my day-to-day in my work. Um, and you can do that, you know, at wherever you're at, or if you're at home or in school, your friends, um, you can help them out and they can help you out if you can recognize their strengths and yours and just be okay with the fact that it might never be your strength. Um, and that's okay. For sure. Getting to know yourself and and identify, you know, who you are is what we talk a lot about on this show. And in my classes about like a lot of times kids don't spend the time reflecting on what they're really good at or what, who they are and who they want to be. And, and some of that, because we're so distracted sometimes with, everything going on in the world and, and, and devices and, and all of that. Um, if you think about like the role you're in now and just along the way, you've been part of different teams, different groups within your organization. And just like, you know, I kind of using the sports analogy of coaching, right. You're, you've got, you're trying to build a culture and build an environment. Um, so people can feel like they can be the best version of themselves. Um, just kind of explain maybe, a little bit how you try to do that at your job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said it really well. I, I kind of, I end most meetings or communications with my team that like, I want you all to show up as your unique individual selves. Like that, that's what I need and want. Right. I don't want people to conform. I don't want people to feel like, you know, they can't share their thoughts. Um, because that's just not going to actually generate the best performance, frankly, even for the company, if you don't have everybody showing up and, and coming with their, their thoughts and ideas, um, as a leader, I feel like, I mean, that, that's my number one job every day is just creating that space for my team, um, having them understand what we're trying to accomplish and, and give that context and set those priorities, but then, really just fostering that environment um, where people um, need to and and can feel free to talk about things. And I think one of the things that I've tried to do even in my last couple of um, years as a leader is, you know, talk about failures in a positive way, (laughs) like actually highlighting someone had the courage to have a totally new idea. We explored it it didn't work. That's actually a really important lesson to learn. We learned something about, you know, either our business or about the people that we serve, right? Maybe that doesn't resonate with them. Maybe they don't want suckers, right? In their packages. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all things though, that we try. And at the same time, then we celebrate those successes, right? So 
At the same time, there's a new idea and we generate something fantastic. We talk about those too, but you don't, you don't get that. You don't learn what that is without the failures along the way. So I think that's one of the things is just talking about that. Even with my kids at home, I try to say, you know, what, what didn't work out today, guys, that, that you wanted to change and then talk about it in a positive way, not like they did something bad. And that's been actually really hard because most of us are like, wow, you know, how's your day? Was it good? Um, tell me why it was good. They'll usually go that direction. But if I really push my kids to say like, well, what, what would you want to have changed about it? You know, they're usually down on, you know, Claire says she's upset my daughter because she didn't speak loud enough on a poem or something. We talk about that. And then we talk about it as recognizing that is actually a success to doing better in the future. So I think, I think talking about failure is um, a really important piece to then creating that open and um, compassionate culture where people feel like they can really bring themselves and their whole selves and not feel, you know, scared to bring up a new idea or something different. Yeah, there's definitely some, I mean, at least from a teacher point of view, things in our line of work that transfer pretty well over to parenting. Um, in your line of work, you just mentioned that one where you, you know, talking about failure. Is there any others that kind of bleed over into family life that you think are beneficial from your line of work? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, I'm, I spend a lot of time in my work. And then what I try to instill in my kids is, um, you know, putting yourselves in the shoes of others. So as a company, we're successful if we do that because we understand who we're serving, right? Who is that customer at the end getting that medication? Um, it could be our mother, it could be our son, it could be whatever. And how do we think about putting ourselves in their shoes to create the best product, right? And the best service. What would we want if it was us on the other end of that? Um, and I, that's really important to me to instill in my kids is to have that thought process of, you know, how do you think that person just reacted to that situation? You know, do you think that felt good um, on their side? Do you think that made them feel good? Not good? Um, you know, hey, recognize this guy holding, you know, this door open for this other guy. Is that something you could do? Why do you think that that made that person maybe feel good that that person opened the door for them? So I just try to like have them put themselves in the shoes of others. And I think that's just a really good way to make sure you keep that perspective um, and, you're, and you're aware of how you're being perceived and how you can change, how you can change the world and how people can um, you know, be better because of you. And I think that's one thing that I've really taken because it's a, it's a lens we talk about every day, all day at work. And so it's something I've brought home to. Yeah. It's really resonating with, uh, empathy is probably the number one thing that I, I try to get across to my students and players and my children. Um, and I'm for whatever reason, just reading now the whole brainchild, um, book, which is talking a lot about just the psychology of the neuroscience of raising children and just like, just gave a couple of those examples of like when your kids are young um, and they agree that empathy is one of the, the, the biggest things you can teach them is having those conversations. Like, how do you think Johnny felt when you, you know, those kids were teasing him or when this happened or when that, and, um, something that, you know, really gets them to use a part of their brain that they sometimes refuse to use because they're <laughs> throwing a tantrum or mad. They didn't get the next SpongeBob, you know, fruit snack that their buddy got or whatever it is. So, um, I think that's really awesome. Um, what else, 
going back to your work for a second, and then we'll, I think we'll go into the parenting, but um, you've had different bosses and worked with different people and different experiences. So tell kids all this time, all the time, because they go through stuff that doesn't work. And, um, and you talked a little bit about that, but just dealing with people, dealing with people of different that are not type A, that are not this, that are not that. What have you learned through your career of just dealing with all the different types of people there are in the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I, I think a couple of things. I mean, there are always going to be people that you're going to have to interact with that you you don't see the same things the same way, right? Or, or to you, it's a, it's a difficult relationship. Um, no matter where I am, you know, in my organization, there's always some of that. Um, and, and I've, I I honestly think practice is, is one of the ways I've gotten good at it, but, um, it does go back to, you know, I think a couple of things, one that we always talk about at our work is assume positive intent, you know, like 99.99%, like people aren't malicious necessarily when you're in a difficult situation it results from either something from their past something from your past you're coming into the situation with a biased view of how you think maybe someone is feeling um you're making assumptions um or they are and and those are the things that really quickly escalate into um you know something where you're, you now have part of the relationship you have to fix before you can actually move forward with whatever work thing you might be uh, dealing with. Um, so from, from a, like a difficult person lens, I would say one of the biggest things is just take that step back, try to make yourself just like we talked about, you know, the empathy piece, why might they be reacting like that? Maybe something really bad is going on in their personal life. And they're taking it out on you and that's not fair, but recognize that maybe it's something even outside of, of you or that situation and, and come in with, um, you know, we, we always talk about like meet on the bridge, right? Like try to go that halfway mark to try to, to, to kind of be the bigger person to let them, let them in and create that trust, right? Kind of ask, ask the question, ask if they're okay. Um, take the approach of how can, how can I help you? Um, I think usually kind of diffuses some of that when it's not a difficult person, I would say, I'll give the example. I was preparing for a presentation to a bunch of our senior leaders and they all have very, very different views on the world and what they care about in terms of our business. So my team and I actually put their put like faces on the whiteboard and put their names. And then under each one, we're like, what's important to that person? What's important to that person? What's important to that person? And we literally had seven different answers of, okay, there's seven different things that's important to each of these. We have one hour to present to all of them. Now, how do we create that story and tell our message and influence in a way that's going to like resonate with each of them? So again, it kind of goes back to the you know, put yourself in the shoe of the other person. What, what do they care about? How do you resonate with them? Um, and then start to work on and practice over time, how you kind of motivate and, and influence in that way. That sounds like a lot of fun to put that, those seven heads on the board. Like that, that does sound like pretty, pretty exciting actually. Yeah. We had fun with it. Yeah. I'm always curious, like what the, I mean, as a teacher, we obviously have a pretty sheltered view of everything. Yeah. Like <laughs> we assume everything operates on a block schedule that's 90 minutes and then we move on to the next thing. 
And so I'm always wondering what like a day to day, you know, situation is for most of the world. Cause I have no, you know, <laughs> touch with it. Um, so what, what is that like? I mean, does it consist of those types of meetings where you are, you know, brainstorming this, these lists of what's going to hit person one, person two, person three, or is it just a mixed bag all the time? Yeah. Uh, totally a mixed bag. Like I'll start pretty much most of my mornings, like looking for any fire drill emails that popped up between 9 PM and 6 AM. Um, and there's usually at least one, um, where, you know, when you're running a big organization, there's anything from, um, you know, we have weather issues in this part of the U S and we can't get their medications to them to, you know, we've got a employee relation issue to, um, hey, we're, it looks like we're not going to be able to, you know, get our performance reviews out today. So what do we want to do? You know, those types of things. So I would say I start my morning with that. And then I move into, we have like daily standups where we talk about just where's the work at? How are we performing? Do we have any roadblocks or issues? Um, and that's a good just daily cadence grounding um, meeting. And then I would say from there, it's anywhere from, yeah, preparing, you know, leadership materials and working through that, whether it's um, presenting to a group. Um, I had a 90 minute meeting this morning where, um, you know, I had to present a portion of it and talk about um, how we're how we're doing as a business. Um, my next meeting after this, I've got like a compliance issue that came up in a certain state. So we have to quickly figure out what we're going to do there. And then I'm ending the day with um, talent planning. So we actually talk about all the leaders on our team. We talk about their strengths, their weaknesses. We talk about if they're ready for the next opportunity or not, and just a constant kind of development check-in um, to figure out, you know, what they need next. And that's, that's one example. Dan sitting here like a, like a little child. <laughs> looking into it's, a... It's, it's, it's amazing to hear that stuff because you yeah. like some of the things I hear from people, I always wonder like, oh, that'd be cool if they did that, you know, at school or they talked about, you know, like talking about their leaders, like what are their strengths and weaknesses? What could we maybe put them into to give them a position to, you know, let them spread their wings a little bit. But I, I just don't think, you know, I think it's always just me hoping yeah. that's the case. Well, and I think it goes to young, a lot of young people as they try to figure out what they're going to do with their life. They, they really have no idea what you know, an environment at work is like. And um, that's why those skills into what you talked about, just like what do you enjoy doing and the types of problems you like to solve. And, and that is so important um, because that helps paint a better picture of where you might fit than it is just the, uh, you know, the job title. Right. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but when you heard like the, you know, uh, health insurance, pharmaceutical side of healthcare. Did that really like just set you off? Like this is, I'm so passionate about this. Like this sounds so exciting right away. Or was it something that kind of, you found out how exciting it was once you got involved in it? Yeah. You know, I think, I think because I, so to your point, I did consulting first for hospitals and, and that was like, Hey, I'm coming in and trying to help how do you, when a patient gets admitted to the hospital to, they get discharged and they have a big bill they have to pay, how do we kind of help the whole organization through that process as fast as possible to avoid, you know, medical cost bills? So to me, healthcare you put a sucker is in the package. Easy. That's what you do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Healthcare is easy to resonate with because you're like, you're helping people. Um, 
it, to me, it's kind of an easy one. Now, your question, when I went to United Health Group, you know, they were the enemy when I was with the hospitals, because it's like all these insurance companies and they're, you know, they're not paying, they're not paying the hospitals back. So then I, I felt like I was literally going to, you know, the evil big insurance company. And then I got there and it's like, we are literally trying to reduce medical costs across the U.S. And how do we do that? And yes, there are pieces of it that are messy and kind of a burden, right? Um, but that's literally what we are here to do. Pharmacy. Um, I was actually excited about that. It's actually the number one healthcare touch point. If you think how many people are on meds, right? Not everybody's going to hospitals, but a lot of people are on medications on a daily basis. So it's, it's the number one kind of touch point from a healthcare perspective. And so what I get excited about is like, our job is to make sure people are adherent to, to their meds and it's easy to take their meds so that they can live the best life and have a high quality of life and, and ideally even get off meds. Right. And, and those types of things. And so when I take it through that lens, to me, it's pretty easy to get excited about being in healthcare. Yeah. Which I think goes to, you got to have a purpose, right? You got to feel like your purpose is bigger than just the job title and the check and, and all of that and feel like you're, you're doing something that is, is making a difference. And, um, I think that's what some people that you hear get burnt out or struggle or whatever, is mm -hmm. they kind of get to that point where they don't feel that, that innate inner kind of passion to what we all realize at some point is that it's more about helping others than it is about just, you know, getting our accolades. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would even say, you know, one of the things that, we do. So I talked about all the jobs I've had, you know, we, we literally have every job in United Health Group. We have doctors, we have lawyers, we have data analysts, we have engineers, we have, I mean, I swear you could almost name anything and I would, we have trainers. Teacher. We have teachers. Is that, yeah, okay. Yeah, we, go. we do. Um, so, so, you know, when I, when I say that because sometimes we do have to spend time with folks that are you know, for example, doing the re-engineering of our pharmacies and, and literally designing the pharmacy flow, right, to make it like as efficient and scalable as possible so we can, you know, get as many medications out as we can. And we sit down with them and we help them make sure they realize what their contribution is, right? So sometimes maybe if you're in a data analyst role and you're running reports, you think, you don't see that you're actually a part of the whole system to make people and help people live healthier lives. And um, so we spend a lot of time making sure that if you're not the front line and you're not the ones actually sitting with patients, you still contribute to healthcare. And even in a big company like mine, we have to have those conversations sometimes. So if we shift to putting that balance of family and being a um, career woman, for lack of a better term, but... Um, just kind of what has been your balance? I mean, obviously society has changed a lot in probably, I don't know, last 20, 30 years, just as far as women in the workplace and diversity and some of that, it's nowhere near where it needs to be, but just kind of what, um, as you started your career and then you talked about realizing, okay, time for a family and some of that, like how, what's been your philosophy as you've tried to balance and navigate, um, your role at work with, being a mom and, and, and being a wife? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I have a pretty demanding job. I travel quite a bit, um, even though I'm not 
you know, consulting on the road. I still travel um, even a couple of times, you know, a month, frankly, uh, non, you know, non-COVID. And, um, and, and I like what I do. So, you know, my husband and I, so he's a school administrator, um, you know, we absolutely kind of come together as a team to try to make, to try to make that work. And there are definitely times where I get mom guilt and I'm like, all right, I'm traveling and, you know, Claire, my daughter might be at home. You know, my husband says she's crying and I'm out to dinner with clients and I can't talk to her right away. And there are certainly moments that um, are, are difficult for me. Um, what I would say is there's a couple of things I've done. I think one is I have to make choices on how I spend my time. Um, I'll be honest, I probably have a smaller circle of friends these days. Um, I'm an introvert, so that's okay by me. Um, but um, I, I don't go to every, you know, happy hour with friends or I, I choose to be home with my kids when I'm home so that, you know, I'm not forfeiting that, that time with them. I, I, I make more of a purpose effort to have one-on-one -on -one time with them and spend time with them. The other thing that's a blessing. So as an educator, I feel for you, I get to do my work from home or wherever. Um, I can kind of flex all hours. So I've made it work because I take my kid to the ortho in the morning and then I just work later at night. Um, I have that flexibility in my job. And so that makes it easier to put in the ex extra hours when it's on my own terms. You know, I'm going to leave early on Friday, but I'm going to go put in three hours on Sunday. And I like that um, because I have that flexibility and I can still make it all, all happen. But, um, you know, it, it certainly helps that I do have um, my husband, who's a great partner. Um, and he, you know, he's much more stable and not traveling. And so, um, you know, we work, we work those things out. Um, if I have a tough week, sometimes I'll have, you know, I, I remember a year ago, I was, well, not a year, I guess a little over a year pre COVID where I was almost gone for like two weeks and I was just starting a new, um, kind of area of my job. And I really needed to go spend time with my pharmacy teams and, you know, I felt like the world was going to end and I was just, you know, mom guilt and I'm a horrible parent. Well, I mean, they live, they don't even remember. <laughs> and I, I took two days off when I got back and that's literally all they needed was two days back with mom and it was fine. So it's like life can go on even with those ups and downs of like having to pivot and make, make choices on, um, where I spend my time. Yeah. It definitely helps to have that kind of team mentality. Um, so that it's not just, you know, one person totally, you know, dominating the what the workspace or the, you know, the time away and both people understand that. And it's trying to, you know, make it so there is a balance between, you know, this person having time to, to build their career, having time to, you know, be with the family while the other person does that. It's, it's definitely, uh, you know, give and take. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if that's every relationship, but that would be, I guess, kind of an ideal part of a relationship, right? Is just have that give and take and be able to, you know, openly communicate those things, what you need from, you know, your teammate or your partner. I just think as a woman, it's so hard. Like when you're having those children and the first child and the guilt of feeling I should be working, but I have this child and how much time do I stay home and all of that. And just kind of, do you remember yeah. those days? And just like, I mean, obviously in this country, you know, that's not a huge priority <laughs> amongst, uh, you know, the programs we have. It's like, take your 12 weeks, get back to work. Or in a lot of, you know, a lot of parts of the world, we know they give you whatever, six months or a year or whatever it might be. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Just this, those days when your kids were real young and you were, you were balancing all of that. Oh yeah. I had my moments too. You know, my break, my breakdown moments. Um, it, it is hard. Even my daughter, her first year, she's one of those September babies. So I literally had to go back in cold and flu season, you know, in January and, you know, anyone with kids through daycare and preschool, no, they just come home with snot and junk, you know, for the first year they're exposed to that, you know, more public setting. And, um, I remember even, even, you know, my husband, Adam and I like, who's you're staying home today. No, you're (laughs) staying home today. You know, (laughs) um, I've got this important meeting. No, I have this important meeting. So, you know, the reality is, is it's, it is hard. Um, in fact, when I came back to my job, um, after maternity leave, um, you know, of course they, they had to give my role away. Essentially they had to give the work to someone. So someone else came in for three months and did it. And I came back with, um, really kind of a big question about what I was going to do, um, next. And, um, actually I even remember, which is not like me going and getting lottery tickets. I'm like, I don't want to work. My baby's at home. You know, I'm not, I'm never working again. Um, and I totally went through that and then I got used to work and I got some new stuff and I realized like, I do love my job and I get energized by it. And I get something from being with adults during the day. That's just me. And so, I relaxed and started to figure out what are those things I'm going to do and what are those trade-offs and how do I make this work for me and talk to my boss about balance and, you know, make sure um, I figure out what that looks like. So with my second child, um, while it was still incredibly painful, I had already learned enough about myself to know that it was going to be okay. It is going to be hard. Um, There is going to be a phase where I'm going to wish I'm not working, but that I did know ultimately I really do enjoy that part of my life. And I I grow and learn every day at work. And I like that. Um, So it it is just a constant balance. But I think the reality is recognize there will be there will be hard times for sure. And phases um, that you think are like the worst scenario. And then like a month later, you realize it was okay. We made it through and, and we're, uh, we're moving forward. On to an even worse scenario, which makes you realize the first one wasn't so bad, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Have you had any female mentors or along the way that kind of helped you navigate that? And then also, is you look at your teams and you see young women going through the same situation that you've been through and you talk about that empathy piece. Um, just kind of how do you, how important and, and what do you try to do with navigating kind of those younger females trying to work their way on the same path that you remember you once were on? Yeah. Well, I'll uh, start by making a plug for mentors at all ages. Um, I, I have, I think I was lucky as a kid to have, um, you know, uh, a, a babysitter who I loved and worshiped, you know, back in the day, um, a second cousin, um, an aunt, like I had those that just kind of naturally happened. Um, and that took extra time with me. Um, and then as I moved, you know, into my first job and, and, and now today I, I have, you know, more than one mentor and I mentor several individuals as well. And I do try to focus primarily on, um, females because I do think that that's something that is important as a female to have, especially in the working, uh, in the workplace so that you can 
share some of those things that we just talked through, you know, maternity leave, babies, parenting. Um, I had one where um, right after I had my first child, I came back to work. Um, she, you know, had kids a couple years older, so she had gone through it, you know, fairly recently, but, um, I was panicked because my daughter had a fever again. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't want to tell my boss. I have to leave early again. I'm like, so embarrassed. Cause I feel like I'm always saying it. And she goes, just leave. Don't tell him. And I was like, <laughs> she's like, what, did, what does he care? Like you're, you're going to get your work done. Right. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, so don't talk about it. I'm like, all right. And so <laughs> I went home and I was like, brilliant. You know, she just like gave me that confidence. Um, I needed, and I, I was leaving like 20 minutes early. So it was like talking about, it was actually going to make a bigger deal than just leaving. Right. Um, and so those were just little, there's pieces and females, many actually like that in my career that have helped me, um, you know, walk through that or, or, um, you know, help me think about how to do a better job of work-life balance. Um, I had one female leader who, she was my mentor and it was like a Monday morning and I, you know, my type A personality, I was like, thanks so much for the time. Here are the three things I want to talk about. And she's like, Lindsay, how was your weekend? Let's just pause for a minute. Um, and so I, I had like an aha moment of like, I need to just settle down a little bit and, um, build that relationship first. And that's really important. Understand who people are and what's going on in their lives before, you know, being able to have then a really good productive working relationship. So, um, I, I still have a lot of, um, again, like I have two really strong female mentors. Um, I, I think it's really important for people, men, male or female to have, um, mentors and, and use them in a way, um, where you're just truly being yourself and you're, and you're talking about areas that you're frustrated with or concerned about. Um, they, they can be amazing in helping you navigate through something um, versus you trying to kind of take it all on yourself. So how does that situation play out? Like, does somebody come up to you and ask, I mean, it's someone you have a relationship with, maybe that they ask if you could be their mentor or do you ask someone uh, if they can be your mentor? How does that conversation practically play out? Or is it just kind of an unspoken uh, role of mentor mentee kind of situation? It's a good question. I, I I've seen it all. So like our company has formal mentorship programs. So you can say, I would like one, you put information about you and what you were looking for and they try to match you up. So we, we make sure there is a formal, um, but also it comes naturally too. So, you know, I'll have someone say, Hey, Lindsay used to struggle with that too. You should give her a call. And then this person calls me and they connect us. And then I say, Hey, let's talk, you know, let's talk monthly and see how you're doing. And then it's just forms. Right. And some of it is just natural like that. Um, recently I wanted, I, I want to make sure I understand like what's expected at the next level. Um, and so I formally asked for a female executive in the company. Um, so it can go, it can go both ways, um, where it's, it's formal or, or not. Um, I like to have actually a little bit of, a little bit of both <laughs> depending on uh, my needs. And, um, those individuals have helped me just figure out what I want to continue to do with my career and my life. And, um, I think, you know, again, what I will say to 
anyone in their, you know, twenties is like, you don't have to have it figured out. I still don't. And I never will. Cause I'm going to just keep navigating through life as, as I focus on what's important to me at the moment and what I like and what I'm passionate about. And, um, so I, I think it's important for, um, younger people to understand that they don't, they don't have to have it all figured out really ever. And that's okay. Um, but you should be able to think about what's important to you. Um, and make sure you're doing things in your life that you enjoy um, and that you're surrounded by people that are going to help get you, you know, continue your own growth and, and development. Yeah, I, I think it's sometimes those happen naturally and sometimes like people need to seek them out. But I think it's kind of like Dan's kind of alluding to sometimes you're like, oh, I don't really know what to do. And um, but it's all about relationships and putting the time in and, and seeking out and people want to help. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, none of us would be who we are without, without a lot of help along the way. Um, a few be respectful of your time here. So maybe just kind of a few questions here and then we'll wrap up and maybe you can, uh, see how, uh, succinct you can be on some of these or where you want to go with them. But if you just think about your, your parenting style, how would you describe it? Like what, what's most important? Well, since I'm married to a school administrator, I don't have to be the disciplinarian. I'm just going to say, um, I find myself being the softer one. I don't, and that, that doesn't even seem like me. It's way more fun um, to be the I, assistant coach than being the head coach. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think, um, I, I tend to walk my kids through their thought process of things. That's important to me. I spend a lot of time doing that and like acknowledging their feelings and that their feelings are okay. Um, we end up getting to the point of like, well, how can you handle your feelings differently? But um, I would say for me, it's about helping them process it uh, more than, more than anything. And I, I try to do a, a lot of that. And I also try to balance, um, what's really most important that I actually like need to harp on them for or not. <laughs> and finding that balance, especially in this last year of COVID where it's just been a real struggle for so many people, um, change is hard. And so trying to find that balance of, um, you know, what, what still needs to be true and, and, and how do I make them successful kids, but also give them a little slack finding that balance. Um, what do you do to kind of grow as a person outside of like your job and talking to a mentor? Like what is a book you've read recently or a podcast you really like, or, you know, something that, that helps you kind of improve or, or seek out some knowledge? Oh, that's a good one. Cause I'm a, I don't read books. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely horrible at it. Um, like I can't, I can't get past the first page. Like you were just talking about that brain book or whatever. And I yep. would like you to just skim it, send me a summary. <laughs> I would love to hear what you learned. Um, I get, I actually, so I think a couple of things for a while, I also didn't pay attention to what's going on in the world. And, and that became a really big priority for me. So I get, and this is funny, I get something called the daily skim that literally like in one quick, blurb tells me everything that's going on. And then from there, I can kind of dive into learning more about it. So I, I, I start my day with the daily skim that kind of says everything going on in the world. And then I'll, I'll do my own little Google searching to, to learn more about those things. Um, but I would say that I 
I really learn from others. And so while I am an introvert and I don't have, you know, maybe 500 friends, I have a lot of close relationships and I spend a lot of time listening to them and learning from them. And, and I watch people at work and I, you know, watch my, my cousins when I'm hanging out with them and, and kind of just always, I'm always kind of soaking in what can I take and learn and what can I do differently based on what I like and what I see. How does religion play a role in your life? It's a good one. I would say, you know, I grew up um, Lutheran, going to church. I, um, I would say my, we don't really go as much anymore. Uh, I think what I would say for me is I think religion is in general, something that provides a really good community and a space and a place for people to go and get values and, and have that um, safe space. Um, for me though, it doesn't matter what religion it is. I think I struggle sometimes with, you know, one versus the other, and I'm trying to teach my kids about all of them. Um, so we, we do a lot in our house to say like, do you know, it's this holiday? Do you even know what that is? Um, you know, <laughs> whether it's, um, you know, a Jewish holiday or, a, you know, Christmas, whatever that might be. Um, because I have a lot of global partners, I have all of the, you know, India holidays on my calendar and I make sure to celebrate and recognize those. Um, cause those are my teammates and that's, what's important to them. So when I think of religion, I think of, um, whatever religion it is, it can work for people and help them be better humans and help them have kind of a safe space and a way of life. Um, what have you learned about yourself through the pandemic? That I was not even multitasking. I thought I was multitasking before the pandemic. And then I realized I'm literally working, teaching, making meals. Um, I really learned the true, uh, multitasking uh, way. Um, no, I also learned I'm an introvert. I, I, I really, I really didn't mind it that much, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> I love I hate people home. like you. No, I'm I just know. saying I struggled, oh, but I, I didn't. I, I think I yeah. fell in that same yeah, category. Yeah, you're definitely that, an introvert. Yeah. All right. It's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, no, no, there was definitely positives of it. One, one quick story I got to tell you, you admittedly uh, stated that you're not very detail oriented. And I can attest to this because, um, uh, my wife and I got married on a Friday and, um, <laughs> I was looking in, in the, uh, audience at one point and I was like, God, where's, where's Adam and Lindsay? I don't see them. And, um, uh, nothing was said the rest of that day, but then, uh, the following day, um, I, I got a text message from Adam and they were out the door. They had, what was it? They had somebody babysitting and, um, they were on our way to our wedding on a Saturday, but it had already <laughs> happened. Did you still enjoy the mini vacation or? <laughs> oh my God. It was so bad. Yeah. So we still like always try to celebrate, uh, Sean's anniversary the next day. Yeah. Um, we totally blew it and I'll, Hey, that's parenting. You know, we had a little baby at the time. It was like our first time going out. I got dressed and showered and I thought we were like in such a good spot. And then we totally missed it. It was the day before. So yeah, yeah yes, that story will live in infamy for sure. For that one. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, anything else, Dan? No, that, this this has been great. Yeah, I love I love uh, poking my head outside the high school yeah. and seeing what else <laughs> is out in the world. And there you go. There's another avenue that I never knew really existed. So for sure, and uh, really appreciate this. I think a lot of our listeners and 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 specifically our female listeners. It, it means great to have people that they can 
see as a, you know, somebody um, that's doing it and doing life really well and they can look up to and learn from. And um, I, I really appreciate all the advice and, and the stories you're willing to share today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And yes, to all the females, just be kind to yourself. <laughs> it's, e it's tough some days. Easier said than done, but yes.